Hey, Sarah here. Summer is fast approaching, and here's what I propose. A relaxed and simple summer that offers just enough structure to keep those long, sticky days from melting into chaos, and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. Also, fairy tales. Lots of fairy tales. (laughs) I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. We all know that the best teaching is done through modeling. And though we're trying to create an environment in which our kids can fall in love with books, modeling a voracious appetite for reading can be a little tricky when there is so much else in life crowding in and pushing reading to the edges. In this episode 37 of the Read Aloud Revival podcast, We'll tackle what it might look like to cultivate a reading life in ourselves and in our kids. You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that inspires you to build your family culture around books. Hey, 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 Sarah McKenzie here. Welcome back to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. If you're brand new, thanks for joining us. This is the podcast that helps you inspire a love of reading in your home and to build a family culture around books. Many of you have been asking to hear from today's guest for a while, so I am thrilled to say that today I'm chatting with Anne Bogle, who many of you know better as Modern Mrs. Darcy. Anne is the go-to expert out there for so many of us trying to figure out how to make reading a part of our lives in between diaper changes and endless loads of laundry and all the other dailiness of life. A mama of four kids, Anne still manages to fit in a ton of reading, quite a bit of writing, a job, homeschooling, and she even manages to keep track of all the books she devours. She's the master at balancing multiple books at one time. And if you want to know what's hot off the bookshelf, she's an invaluable resource. Her site, modernmrsdarcy.com, is my first step when I know I need a new book to find out what's best right off the presses. She's even created a printable reading journal that you can download from her site for free. We'll make sure we link that up in the show notes for you to go grab. And today we're going to be chatting about cultivating a thoughtful reading life and how to fit in as much reading as we possibly can. So without further ado, Anne, welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. I'm glad to be here. I am so glad to be chatting with you. So your site is by far my favorite place to go when I need a new reading recommendation. So I know our listeners are going to appreciate finding you if they haven't already found you. Thank you. That makes me very happy to hear. Well, tell us right at the beginning here a little bit about your family. Okay. I met my husband, Will, in high school, but we didn't meet till senior year because I think that sounds super cheesy. But we've been married for 15 years, and I'll totally take the cheesy part if that's the life I get. We have four kids. We have bookend boys, two girls in the middle. They are 12, 10, 8, and 5. And we live in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. And when you started, how long ago did you start Modern Mrs. Darcy, actually? I started it, this blows my mind now, almost five years ago in February 2011. Okay. Wow. That's awesome. So when you started it, did, it, did you have the vision for where it is now or did it kind of just you know, evolve over time? I am a pantser, not a planner. 
No, I mean, I always wanted to blog about the intersection of timeless ideas and what's relevant right now. So in that sense, the vision has stayed constant. But as far as what it looks like, no, I never could have imagined exactly yeah, I would, what it looks I like mean, now. I think it's probably fair to say it's one of the top reading sites online, the top reading blogs online. I know that I see it linked to and mentioned everywhere when people are looking for good recommendations. You've just become the go-to person. So that's oh, a pretty... Well, that's lots of fun. Yeah. Really fun. So tell us more about what reading looks like in your home because you have four kids. Are they all readers? They are all readers, but they're not all read independently urged yet. My five and a half year old is learning his letters and his sight words. But I think actively right now while we're speaking, Will and Silas are reading Harry Potter on the couch oh, very because good. he's been begging. So yeah, they're all readers. Is this the first time they've read Harry? It's Silas's first time because oh, all the other ones have read them independently. I mean, we started reading them aloud and then they got impatient because you can read faster to yourself than totally. you can when you're listening to your mom or reading out loud to your mom or your dad. So everybody else kind of tends to come hang out in the living room if that's going on in the couch. So it's, it is his first time through, which is fun. And I always like to reread, but everybody else knows what's coming next. So did you do anything in particular when your kids were young in order to cultivate a love of reading in your kids? Or has it just been something maybe they've seen you do and they've fallen in love with themselves? Or how have you, I guess, cultivated the reading culture in your home? I always, I mean, of course, I'm a giant book nerd. So of course, I wanted my kids to be readers too, because I wanted them to be able to experience that. But we didn't like sit down and have a powwow and say, okay, here's the strategy. I think it just kind of evolved because that's what they grew up with. I mean, we have shelves full of books and Will and I are always reading on the couch. He doesn't read as much as I do, but he is a reader. And I think we were extraordinarily lucky to live next door to a really great public library until last year. So for the first many, many years of their lives, I would literally be at the library every day. Like when Jack was born, I almost called my firstborn by the wrong name. When Jack was born, <laughs> he hated the car. He was kind of a high maintenance child. And I went to the library literally every day to pick up my reserves because I was impatient for them and to return the old ones because I don't like clutter. And I think subconsciously, I was just seeking human contact that didn't require a vehicle and a screaming child in a car seat. Oh, totally. So that's what they grew up with. Yeah. So did your love for reading start young? Or I mean, have you, when you were a kid, were you one of those kids that just voraciously read books? Yes, I was totally one of those kids. Yeah. Like one of those kids where it's embarrassing where the principal comes to your third grade classroom and is like, oh, Anne, you read 53 books when everybody else read 10, which I think now <laughs> looking back, it's kind of a miracle that he didn't squelch my love of reading right there yeah. or send me like, yeah, but I survived That's that visit funny. from the principal. Yeah. I've got some voracious little read. I was like that as a kid too. And one of my daughters last year, they keep track of pages. So when they finish a book, they'll write down how many pages it was. And we just started doing that maybe two years ago. And then they just got hooked on it. And my daughter, my 12-year-old last year read 40,000 pages over the year. And when I saw it, I had to like wow. bite my tongue to keep from being like, you need more chores or something. <laughs> like you shouldn't even have that much time. <laughs> how did this happen? That is really, that's really cool to know though. Yeah. I wish I knew how many pages I'd read in oh my, my kids. I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, good for you for biting your tongue. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and for keeping track, both and, because I think they're both important in, you know, cultivating readers, because you made that something she can be proud of without making her feel weird. Right. Whereas I think a lot of, like, I'm an introvert, and extroverts love to read too, but, or can love to read, but 
I wonder if it isn't more common in introverts. But in my case, I totally am. And so my principal was like, let's single her out and make her feel awkward in front of the whole classroom. Which is like, like that's maybe not the best way to do yeah. for an introvert. Yeah. yeah. That is, she is my one introvert. Well, I don't know about my little ones yet, but out of my oldest three, I've got two extroverts like me and an introvert, one introvert. <laughs> She's my introvert. So that's really interesting. <laughs> was there a book or a series that really lit you up when you were a kid and kind of made you into the reader you are today or? Okay. I have a highbrow one and a lowbrow one. Okay. The first book that kept me awake under the covers with a flashlight until two o'clock in the morning because I had to find out what happened was Emily of New Moon by Ellen Montgomery, Um, which isn't really a highbrow pick. That is what I had in mind, but that is at least like a quality book that I'm, you know, not embarrassed to have read. But honestly, I think the other thing was the Babysitter's Club series. Oh my goodness, I was that's addicted. mine too. <laughs> I could not wait. See, I'm so glad to hear that. And there's so many of us. Like I have the conversation so much. Like I just got my daughters the whole Babysitter's Club series. Well, almost the whole Babysitter's Club series on eBay because I have no idea where mine are. Like I can totally see myself getting rid of them, but I don't remember doing it. My mom might've moved them out. I don't know, but I don't have them. So I got them on eBay and I posted the picture on Instagram and there were like so many comments that said, that was my childhood right there. Yes. And because I was getting them and I'm like, okay, they're 50 cents each if I buy a hundred, but they're like $5 each if I buy them individually as exactly. artifacts. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, that got me, that was my taste of a series, you know, like I was invested in the characters. I couldn't wait for the next book. When you discover a series like that, when I was young, there were probably 20 that already existed. And then I'd wait impatiently for Ann Martin to write the next one. <laughs> well, you know, so, it's so funny. I think that matters. Yeah, we hear a lot of parents worrying that their kids are reading kind of fluffy, you know, cotton candy mm-hmm. type It's books. not quite twaddle, but it's, I don't, I don't know, know. Some people probably think it is. Yeah, but, but it I, is definitely not it high like literature. Right. Yeah. But, you know, the thing is, sometimes you need, well, I know Susan Weisbauer talks about this. You need, like, a lot of reading to get really good at reading. And so if it takes reading something below your level, that's really easy, that just gets a lot of words going in through your eyes and into your brain, then Mm -hmm. it improves your skill of reading so much. And also when you are really good at something, you start to love it. So my daughter, my 12-year-old, who the one who read 40,000 pages last year of mostly really good books, you know, definitely like some twaddle or just fun books. No, we have no problem with that. A lot of really good books in there too. She, when she was first reading read voraciously from those fairy books, like the, oh goodness, the spring fairy and the winter Christmas tree fairy. I don't know. I'm just making them up now. But all these different Mm -hmm. fairy Mm -hmm. twaddle books, you know, the Disney uh, series. And then there was another series by Daisy Meadows. And at the time, I remember kind of cringing a little bit that that's all she would read. And now I'm so grateful that I let her have that time and space to fall in love with reading because it was after she fell in love with reading that I was able to guide her to, you know, meteor really more high quality books. And she didn't have mm-hmm. to try to start love reading while she was reading something more difficult. Right. I totally agree. And that's my viewpoint too. Oh, Sweet Valley High. I read a lot of Sweet Valley High, <laughs> yes, which so is totally twaddle. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. But it made reading easy when it was time to read the good stuff and the hard stuff. Yeah. So I know you've written before about audiobooks and how audiobooks have enriched your home. And so we'll link to that post. You've got a post on, let's see, seven ways audiobooks enrich our homeschool. We'll make sure we link to that in the show notes. But have you always liked audiobooks too? Or have those become, you know, mm-hmm. did you follow? Yes and ways? no. Okay. Um, 
Will and I listened to a lot together when we were engaged and married because we bought a total fixer upper house and we found that audiobooks, oh, we'd like lose our voice talking with paint fumes for eight hours a day on a Saturday rolling paint on the walls because like every surface of every place in the house needed attention. Not that it ever got it, but that's what we were facing. And we live next door to the library. So we had this giant boom box that I got for Christmas in like 1993. And it had a CD player that still worked. And we go to the library and pull something off the shelf. And we listened to some really great audiobooks together. Like I still remember listening to The Professor and the Madman by Simon Winchester, which I still recommend all the time as a wonderful audiobook that'll hook you on it. Anything with a British accent like automatically has an advantage in my, in my eyes. And we listened to, we might've listened to Harry Potter back then, which was great. And we listened to Undaunt and Courage. And we really liked doing that together. But then when I had Jack, I stopped listening to audiobooks. I just wasn't, we had a, an iPod, like an original iPod, but mm-hmm. I could never quite figure out how to get the tracks in the right order onto it. And I was always moving around. So the CD player didn't do me much good. And I just didn't do that very often. But it's just in the last, I don't know, three or four years that I've really actually Now that I look back, it corresponds with when I got a smartphone. I didn't realize that till just now. I do. I listen to audiobooks all the time now. I'm a big fan. And by all the time, I mean probably one or two a month, not like constantly nonstop. Oh, well, audiobooks take a long time to to listen to. So that's quite a bit. They do take a long time. I love the Audible app because it lets you listen to them at speed and a half, which doesn't, or speed and a quarter, which is how I can't go much faster than speed and a quarter for books in an accent that is not one I'm used to hearing, (laughs) like Australians and Brits and French. But I do like how that lets you not let your mind wander and get through it a little quicker. I am, audio is definitely my preferred mode. I mean, I love, love reading, but I think I like audio so much because I, I don't know, I kind of tend to be one of those energetic extrovert types. I like to be doing something as well. So if I can be cleaning the house or running errands or putting away the laundry while I'm listening to a book. I just feel like I can get so much more reading in that way. So mm-hmm. I love audiobooks. But I think you're right. If it's not super convenient, then it's just way more headache than it's worth. So I f- like, you know, a phone makes it so much e- inaudible. That makes it so much easier. Yeah. I mean, it's the same strategy I use with my kids. Like if you make it easy, they're much more likely to do it. Exactly. And that's how I feel about. Yeah. And I have also found that books, you know, you had said with a different accent, some of those are so much fun to listen to on audiobook. Have you ever read the number one ladies detective agency by Alexander McCall Smith? No, but I was telling somebody yesterday that I keep meaning to. Okay. I read the I first... heard him speak. Oh, uh-huh. Oh, I heard him speak in Louisville in a kilt about his Jane Austen project book, which was only okay, but okay. I'd still listen to it in his accent. Yeah. But I can see how well, I don't know. He probably doesn't read his series. He does doesn't. He? Well, that series is set in Africa. And in, uh-huh. and so the reader has this beautiful thick accent. And I had read the first one in hard copy. And then the second one I listened to on audiobook. And after that, I listened to all of them on audiobook because it was so much more enjoyable. I felt like I was right there because her accent was just totally immersive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are books where that makes a huge difference. Like it really makes it spring to life. Oh yeah. Like Harry Potter read I, by Jim Dale is just unbeatable. Oh, absolutely. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I love audiobooks that are, you know, not just okay in that format, but better in that format. Like a Little House with Cherry Jones. I love those so much. 
Isn't oh. it dull? Like, I love those so much. Yes. I wish they had those Cherry Jones versions on Audible so badly because I think the only place you can get them right now is on CD, like buying them on CD. Mm-hmm. Right? That's how we have ours. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And books that have a lot of description. I have found books when I'm reading aloud to my kids that have really long passages of description are harder for me to read. But if you have a really talented narrator, they can be really riveting to listen to. So mm-hmm. what about ebooks? I know that you read hard books, you have you read ebooks, you listen to audiobooks. So what does that look like for you? What's your favorite way? What's your favorite mode of reading to yourself and then also with your kids? I go back and forth. Right now, and this has been true for the past couple of years, I really prefer print. And I think a big reason for that is that I am easily distractible. So if most of my books are in print, then I can see them. I know what I have to read. I can gauge the volume of what I have to read. And it's easy for me to prioritize they're all in one place. But if I have to add one more like metaphorical shelf to my weighing decision-making process and my like the things I need to keep tabs on in my brain, it degenerates quickly. So I do have like I have I just downloaded two books from the library yesterday and I loaded them up on my Kindle and realized, oh shoot, like I haven't read that book yet that I bought or that book yet that I bought and I just forgot about them. That's um, what I do with I books I buy on Kindle all yeah, the time. I yeah. completely forget I even bought it because you see them for a deal for two ninety nine or something and then you grab them and then totally forget about them. And I don't, I, you know, it's just not as easy. And I think a big difference too is I had an original Kindle and then a Kindle Fire for the kids and my original Kindle after like five years, like bit the dust. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm reading on the Kindle Fire and I don't like to read on it at night and I do a lot of reading at night. And so just it's a screen time thing. So basically reading on ebooks is hard for me now. And so that's why I'm not doing it. Because even though I'm in my 30s, you know, it's not like I'm six. If reading a certain way or a certain genre or a certain method becomes difficult, I'm much less likely to do it. And yep. realizing that about myself makes me much more forgiving about my kids complaining about the weird font or something in a book <laughs> that they're trying to read. <laughs> totally. Okay. So you mentioned you do a lot of reading at night. Let's talk about that. The number one question our listeners have for you is how you get in so much reading. So first, tell our listeners about how much you get in. I, hmm, that's a good question. I usually read three or four books a week, but that depends. Like if I have a 700 pager going, that is not going to be something I read simultaneously with three other novels. Or how about, I won't read that the same week. I probably will be reading it simultaneously with three other novels to give my, because <laughs> that's what I tend to do. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to get through 3,000 pages a week. Let's see. That's but a tremendous I don't, amount. Though. I'm I having, think that's so much more than a lot of us who see ourselves as readers don't get through nearly that. I don't, I don't, I'm not anywhere near close to three or four books a week. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> so that's so impressive. But, um, so you keep several books going. And so do you just pick up whichever one you feel most in the mood for? Or do you a have, a, do you have a structure? Like I read one nonfiction, one fiction, one classic, one modern fiction, like do something like that. Or do you just kind of read whatever you feel up for? It often works out that way. Like I'll never have like four serious novels, like, you know, in-depth literary. I'll never have like four, shoot, what's the word I'm looking for? I'll ne- we, we'll stop looking for a word. I'll never have like four like serious, deep, yeah. like brain expanding fiction going at the same time without having some changes pace stuff too. And if I do, so I am a big fan of having several books going at once. And that means I can keep a book in my purse and not have to like get it out. And I do have, like I have the Kindle app on my iPhone. Like if I am desperate, I can load up whatever I have on the Kindle. If I'm like at the hairstylist waiting for my hair to dry and 
you know, then I can do something like that. But that's not how I prefer to read. But I can keep a book on my purse and on my nightstand and by my desk and just always have something ready to go. And so like, oh, darn, I left it on my bed. Like that doesn't happen if I always keep it in my purse. Right. I can read several books at a time as long as only one of them is fiction. I have a hard time keeping two different storylines in my head. Yeah, a lot of people say that. Yeah. I did think of you this last week. I had to take my one of my twins to the ER for this really horrible case of croup. Man, we've had croup several times. We have a crouper. Kids. Oh, That's yes. Awful. This is, yeah. I mean, my oldest daughter had croup every year, but this particular time the other night really freaked me out because his breathing got really <laughs> shallow. So anyways, we were in the ER and it was one o'clock in the morning and he's two. And so I'm trying to keep him on my lap. I don't want him like touching anything, right? Because gross. And so I had completely forgotten. I was thinking about how you've written that you try not to ever leave the house without a book and a snack. (laughs) And um, (laughs) I didn't grab a book. And in my head, I think I thought, oh, I have my phone. So if he falls asleep in my arms, I can just read on my Kindle. But the thing is, he didn't fall asleep in my arms. So I was playing nonstop episodes of Fireman Sam and Caillou over and over on my phone while we were waiting for hours in the ER. And I didn't have anything to read. I literally thought my brain was going to explode. I thought, if I just took <laughs> Anne's advice and had a book and a snack, I'd be fine right now. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. You do get a special dispensation for one o'clock in the ER with a, <laughs> you know, with a two-year-old in distress. But right. yeah, yeah, <laughs> that doesn't sound like a good time. Whether think, or not you have a book. Yeah, exactly. Right. And well, he had cal- calmed down by that point. I think in my head too, as we were racing out the door. The last thing I was thinking was I'm going to be reading in the ER. It was more like, let's just get there and get this kid breathing again. So exactly. by the time you calmed down, exactly. I thought, dang, how did I get myself into a situation where I have no book to read? This is terrible. <laughs> so you read mostly in the evening or do you read? Yeah. Tell me about when you read. I read a lot in the evenings, except like real life, my reading has suffered because Will and I were totally addicted to Blacklist. So now we're all caught up. But that seriously cut into my reading time. We were like, we have got to finish this series so that we can get back to our normal routine. Oh, that's so funny. And we did. Yeah. I read a lot in the afternoons also. So those are my two big chunks in the afternoon and in the evening. My brain stops working and always has around like two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And during that time, like I can take in information, but I cannot, like I can't write or do anything that's extremely mentally demanding in that kind of generative way. So to use that to my advantage, that's my reading time. So what are your kids doing during that time, if I could interrupt you? They have, you know, that used to be nap time way back when. Mm -hmm. That is their like rest, we call it rest time, quiet time. That's the time for them to be playing solo we have a lot of Legos. We have a lot of reading. We have a lot of like craftiness going on during that time. My youngest is five and a half. Okay. Like I've always wanted to do this, but back when I had a baby, you know, the nap thing can be definitely iffy. And when I had two and three year olds, like they pop out of their rooms and they, you know, we'd read together or I'd read my own book in the hallway to keep them in their room. Like That's what I'm doing right now. This yeah. wasn't, I'd be very frustrated <laughs> when I had tiny kids and people would be like, oh, you just need to send them to their rooms. And that can be easier said than done. Um, so yeah. in this stage that works. And still it's not like always like happy, quiet all the time. We right. have a lot Everybody of, prancing no, off to you their... go to your room and you go to your room. And if it isn't quiet in two minutes, yeah. Um, <laughs> but that is good reading time for me. And Are you ever tempted evening, to just, like before you go on to that, are you ever tempted to like clean the house or get things done? I mean, my biggest problem, and I, I have instilled the whole routine in the afternoon of everybody having 
about 45 minutes to an hour of quiet time whenever the toddlers nap, if they do, or just putting the toddlers in their cribs and sitting outside in the hallway and yelling at them to get back in their cribs a million times because the twins are climbing Mm -hmm. out. But I'm tempted Mm -hmm. so much of the time to be getting caught up on laundry or checking on my email or something instead of reading. Do you ever fight that or is it just a habit now? Yes, but cleaning the house isn't what that temptation looks like for me. (laughs) Um, That's not usually a thing. But yeah, I am tempted to to try to get something more like, quote, productive done during that time. So here's where I am on that. Intellectually, I know that the best thing I can be doing for myself right then is reading. Or because, and I say that because like that is my way to recharge. And I am an introvert, like not a massive introvert, but if we're on a day where I'm like interacting with people all day or home with my kids all day, like I do need that some way to like fill up my tank again. And that is a good way for me to do it. So intellectually, I know that I will be an unhappy camper if I don't take that time. And I finally gotten to the point where I kind of believe it too, like on the emotional level. Something else I've done that not everybody can do, but a lot of people can, is that I've turned reading into something that is productive that's not just important, but also has a time demand on it. Mm-hmm. Like, so since I do have a blog and I blog about books, if my editorial calendar that I've just totally decided for myself, mostly probably to give myself a deadline mm-hmm. says I need to finish right now, it's Mrs. Dalloway. Like I need to finish Mrs. Dalloway and another required high school read that you didn't read back then, but you totally should read now is on my editorial calendar for next week. And I need to finish both those in time to write little blurbs about them by Thursday. Because for my book list post on the blog, like I read all those books. Like that's my deal with the readers. Like I have read these. If you have questions about, you know, content or triggers or language, or is this worth my time if I hated this, but love this, like I'm ready to answer them. So like, not only is it important to me to take some time out to recharge, but also like, I got to check that off the list. And I think that is a deadline, which a lot of people have negative connotations with, but that has been a really healthy way for me to do what I want to do and take good care of my, my poor, exhausted mother of four introverted brain. Well, I love that you mentioned that because for me, definitely, if I put it on my to-do list as something that I'm supposed to do, I will give myself this weird permission that I somehow can't give myself otherwise. So if I at least prioritize the fact that I have to take care of, like you said, this poor, exhausted mother <laughs> who is trying to yeah. take care of everyone else all day and say, okay, it's a priority for me to read for 30 minutes today. So that needs to go on the to-do list right next to you know making dinner. Not at the same time, but I just mean on the list, you know, just as important. Then I can justify it in my head. It's when I see it as this decadent 30 minutes that's completely optional and kind of selfish that I really start struggling with getting the reading time in. So I know when it feels there's a difference between feeling wise in a good way about how you're treating yourself and Mm -hmm. like really like over the top. Are you kidding me? You have better things to do, indulgent. And it's good to find a way to put it on the, or I found that it's not over the top indulgent for me. Like it keeps me from losing my mind at 4.30 and that's really valuable. And also I know not everybody has a blog or like a compelling reason to read and other people recharge in every different ways. And I'm definitely not like everybody should read a thousand pages a week. Like that is not my thing. But there are ways that other people I know have found to make reading a little more urgent and important. Like library due dates are highly motivating for a lot of people or book club, or just knowing that like, you're going to see a friend who recommended that book you've been meaning to read for Mm -hmm. coffee on Friday and you should finish it by then, or at least be able to tell her you're on chapter three. You know, there are, there are ways to boost that up the priority list. Or sometimes my kids want to read a book and I'll be like, um, let me check that out first. Like they'll be pushing me to, you know, have you read it yet, mom? 
I don't preview a lot of their reading now just because I can't keep up with all of that. But there is still some stuff that I do, especially for my my highly sensitive, my extremely highly sensitive mm-hmm. child who's yes. very sensitive to emotional content. Like I do preview at his request a lot of his stuff. Yeah. One of the tricks that works for me is the library trick because I moved a couple years ago, I moved toward buying more books because I was paying so much in library due date or overdue fines that I started telling mm-hmm. myself it would just be more worth it to buy the books. But what's happened now is I've amassed this collection of books that I own that have no urgency because I just own them. They can sit there forever. But then I still am getting books from the library. And so those are always highest on my priority list. So yeah, (laughs) I can totally see how. Yeah, that's a real thing. It's not just you. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer And here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? (laughs) Fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about moms who are looking to read more, but they're kind of struggling to find that time or to connect with the right book. Or can you give us a baby step if for the mom who's listening to this, who says, I want to be more of a reader, but I don't know the first step to take. Can you just give her like one small step? Okay. Twofold. Shoot. That's two. How about (laughs) one step? Don't be afraid of the 90 second window. Okay. Tell me more about that. If you are heating up something in the microwave for two minutes, leave your book on top of the microwave. I mean, just it's okay to read in line at the bank. You don't have to like be on the couch with your blanket and your cup of tea and your roaring fire. Like that sounds nice and all, but that's not always real life. That's like the occasional like, ooh, this is memorable because it never happens moment. Yeah, it's okay (laughs) to read for two minutes at a time. And maybe War and Peace won't be the book you choose. Maybe it'll be something much, maybe it'll be adult twaddle, you know, but you'd be reading. If you want to read more, just embrace those little moments. When I find it easier to read, I, you know, it's, it's like any habit, the more you do it, the more you do it. And so the more I'm reading, even if it's light fiction, actually last summer, I was having a really hard time getting back into my reading groove because I'd kind of fallen out of it. And it was a real struggle for some reason for me to pick up and read books. Like I had, you know, I had done pretty much all my life. I don't know what the problem was, but I found that the way in back into my habit was to read easy stuff. So I I went to your beach read, I think, uh, section in your summer reading guide. Isn't there a beach read section? Try to remember yeah, yeah, if that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. 
And I read a couple of those and it just got me back into the groove of reading a lot. And then I could pick up harder books and read them because now I'm not struggling over trying to get back into the groove and trying to wrap my mind around something like Mm -hmm. Dickens, you know, so. Yeah, definitely. Which is like, he's way more readable than I thought he would be because I didn't read Dickens in high school. I read him as an adult. I was like, oh, I thought this would be, you know, boring and over my head and it's lots of fun. But yeah, so I think if you want to read, oh, to read in the small moments, like you have to take a time and decide what you're going to read. Because if you're trying to start reading, I think the hardest part of, well, for me, at least the hardest part of getting started is like choosing what to read Mm because there's so many options. And like, even in your house, you probably have so many options and it just gets overwhelming. And even I, when I'm between books, even if I just have to replace one in my, like I have five going right now, I'll look at my shelves and go, oh. Well, it feels like such a commitment, especially if you feel like you don't have a ton of time to read, then you think, well, it's got to be a good one. (laughs) No, it's like all Uh this pressure Uh on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Is it going to be worth it? And the other thing is like, get a good book. Like if you're not reading as much as you want to read, you need to make it easy for yourself to pick it up. So choose something you're going to love. Yeah. So for listeners who are thinking, how do I know? Yes. Except that with sites like yours. So that's what I was going to say. Listeners who are thinking, yeah, but how do we know it's going to be worth it? Anne puts out this summer reading guide every year and you can access them all on her site anytime. And they are recommendations that are categorized by things like flights of fancy, wild, imaginative novels or beach novels or books you can't put down, you know, page turners, basically. So you click on one of those and then she's got little blurbs of the different books and you can kind of get a feel for what they are. So I have, I can't tell you how many times, Anne, I've been at the library and I'll think, okay, I need to get something that I can't put down because I just need to get myself back in the groove of reading. And so I will pull up your site right there in the library and look on your summer reading list because your little, you know, five sentence paragraphs about each book are so helpful to me to gauge whether or not it's worth my time. So I think having, it's just like when we're reading aloud with our kids and we want to make sure we choose something really good, having a reliable book list or somebody who's read a lot and can tell you, okay, this one's worth your time. Same thing for reading to yourself, don't you think? Yes, I totally do. And I think it's really important to know to find a site. And if it's mine, that is fantastic. But maybe it's not mine. But find a site or a friend or someone who has taste kind of like yours, like who who likes the same kind of books you like. Because so many times, if you're just reading like little descriptions on the internet, like, oh, I think this is a great book only is worth anything if you know what kind of books they think are great. So yeah, if you can find someone whose taste that you trust, that's the best way or a good librarian even because you said you pulled that up at the library because they're not just going to recommend you their favorite books. They'll probably ask, first of all, what do you like to read? And it's their job to make you leave with something in hand that is likely to meet your taste. Not that there's not a place for stretching, but a lot of books aren't, we're not reading them necessarily like for personal growth or to check off some master list somewhere in the universe. Like we just want a good book. Right. And yeah. It's important. It's hard to find. And reading's not fun if you're constantly reading a bunch of bad books. So where do you go to get your book recommendations? What are your sources? We all can go to you, but. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's see. I get most of my recommendations through, I mean, of course, like I'm just as vulnerable to like what people are talking about on, I don't know, in Time Magazine as everyone else. But most of my recommendations are word of mouth. I have friends that I know are constantly like in sync with me and I have friends that I know their taste and I know where we tend to converge and where we tend to differ. 
that, yeah, word of mouth is the best. And I, I know who I can trust and who I'm, I also know who's, which friends read in totally different circles that I do, mm-hmm. but still have my similar taste. So that really helps stretch me. And also like just browsing the bookstore, like not everything is in the bookstore, especially in my local indie. It's small, like it only has room for so many, but it's still a great way to hear, to hear about new books and just talking to those booksellers too, because they get their information from somewhere different than I'm getting mine. So it helps me find new stuff. Okay, so you track the books that you read, right? And you do you use your own, the printable um, journal that you made that's on your site? I use that and I also use Goodreads. Okay, very good. Yes, Goodreads. So, and we'll put a link to your Goodreads account in the show notes as well for people who want to find you there. What about your kids? How do you track books that they've read or do you? During certain times of year, we'll track those, but we don't have any ongoing list. Okay. Although I was making notes when you said you knew how many pages your daughter had read. (laughs) Well, we just do very like basic recording. I just made a, well, actually last year I made just like a printable where they could write the title author and the number of pages, the date they finished it and the number of pages they read. And then this year we're doing it actually in a spreadsheet online because at the end of last year we had to input all of those and that was a lot of books to input. (laughs) So they'll keep a list. Yeah. Yeah. We have these spiral notebooks that they use to keep track of their schoolwork. And the last, I don't know, 15 pages or so of the spiral notebook is where they can just jot down books that they finished and the number of pages. Mm -hmm. And then once every couple of weeks, their typing practice is to put those books into the spreadsheet with their page numbers there. And they love to just kind of see where they're at and how many books. It feels like such an accomplishment to be able to see how many books and pages you've read. So, but that's not, I mean, I know I have my friend Misty tracks her kids' books in Goodreads. So I keep looking thinking I'll look into that and see if that would be a better way to do it. I just haven't yet. So, Oh, the thought of having four different logins makes me want to cry. Doesn't it? Yeah. But, I, that's why I think maybe why I'm kind of subconsciously thinking maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we'll just stick but with there our is something. System. Now that we're talking, I'm thinking I really should do that for them because I keep thinking of that saying, you get what you measure. Like if you track it, you will produce it. And I do want my kids to be readers. So there's something very rewarding about seeing it on paper. And also I just like to know. Well, and I like, kind of wish that I had a list of all the books that I read when I was a kid. So that would be... I have friends who've been keeping book journals for like 25 years and I am so jealous. And it almost makes me not want to start now. And while I'm aware <laughs> that that's stupid, it still does think, well, you know, if I haven't been keeping it since I'm 17, what's the point? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I totally can relate to that. Okay. One last question. And then I've, I want to make sure we honor your time. But I know that you have said before that clutter makes you crazy. And books can feel a lot, you know, pretty cluttery, especially when there's just like stacks of them everywhere. So how do you keep your home from getting overrun by books? (laughs) I Instagram that occasionally, (laughs) like my office floor when it gets out of hand. I'm not a huge book buyer. Like, I mean, that sounds crazy because I'm looking around my office right now and you'd be like, um, (laughs) okay. But truly, like I get most of what I read from the library we did live next door for so many years. Now I feel like it's like completely out of the way. It's 1.2 miles away and I drive by it five days a week. But I don't want a book in my house if I don't love it and think it's worth keeping. I do buy a lot of books that I love and then I put them on a shelf. (laughs) And um, I buy a lot of books that, well, not a ton, but I do buy a book or two a month that I just, it's important to me that I read it like when it comes out. And the only way to guarantee that is to buy it or to get on the library reserve list really, really early. That works sometimes. But really, I just 
rotate them through. Like I get it from the library and I take it back when I'm done or I will buy it or be given it or something and I'll keep it for a while. But if I don't love it, and that can include something like it's my favorite shade of blue because I have this serious thing for blue books. I know. I love your Instagram post where you gather books by their color. And yeah, (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Those like, I love that. I love that color. So I have a lot of books sitting around right now that I'm trying to decide if I want to read them or not. Like they just happen to have come into my path. But I mean, they're on shelves. That's the other answer. Like they are on shelves. And if we don't like them, like I know exactly how I'll get rid of my books if I don't want to keep them in my house. Sometimes I'll give them to friends, but also our library has a like, it has a card table and you can buy hardcovers for a dollar and paperbacks for 50 cents. And so I get some books there. Like if I see something, I'm like, oh, I want to read that. The library gets the dollar. It's only a dollar. It's going to a good cause and, you know, take it home and put it on my to be read shelf which is like a real thing. Like I keep that a literal to be read. Okay. So it's not not just an idea like mine is. My to read stack is scattered everywhere. It's not an actual stack, but yours is a real shelf. Well, yeah. Okay. It is a real shelf. Yeah. But then there's also a stack of books under my desk that I'm deciding what to do with. And there's a giant stack of books by my bed that are also to be read or recently finished and deciding if I'm going to send them out of the house or keep them. But you can also like anybody can take their books and take them to the library and put them on the table and the library will send them on their way. So even if I have a new hardcover that I paid, you know, pretty good money for that I don't want to keep, I really like knowing that if I put it on that table, it's going that I'm spreading the love of reading basically. You know, somebody is going to be thrilled to get that book. And sometimes I want to put like post-it notes on it. Like I read a really hot summer release that everybody was talking about and somebody gave it to me. I didn't pay $18 for it but I only got a third of the way through it. I thought it was terrible. And I really wanted to put a, like a post-it on it that says, you think this is a good idea, but I didn't do that. But somebody was really happy to find that there for a dollar and the library got the dollar. And my office floor wasn't making my husband like pull out his hair because yep. he wasn't tripping over books. Like I'm really happy with that way of moving my books on. Also, there's a little free library really close to my house. Oh, yeah. And look it up. It's littlefreelibrary. I think it's .org. But if you Google little free library, you'll come up with all these images of these quaint little, they almost look like supersized, like um, maybe two foot by two foot by two foot, like birdhouses. Yes, we have one in our neighborhood and we're going to build one at some point. Yeah. I would love to do that, but I haven't actually done it yet. Because I want to find out if I can put one or if my city can put one at the playground really close to my house because I think that would be an amazing place to put it. Oh, and then a mom would never be stuck at the playground without a book. Like there'd be a little a little box of them right there. Yeah. So I, it's a tiny bit out of the way, but I'll like put books in there too. So cool. basically okay. like I try to send, if I don't love it, I try to send it on to someone who will. And that keeps my house from being overrun. Okay. That's kind of how and I my purge books. For keeping- yeah. Okay. I usually think if I really don't think I will ever read this book again, there is no point for it to be on my shelf. So I tend to Well, keep... unless it's really pretty or <laughs> someone gave it to you. Like I'm not, it doesn't unless have it's to blue. be like high literature. And okay. I'm much more likely to keep the blue ones and I am not kidding. Oh, the black and white, awesome. not so much because those are like a dime a dozen. <laughs> okay. Or if I think I might need it in the future. Like I have a lot of research books that, okay. you know, okay. it's just, yeah, they're not gorgeous, but they're necessary. But so you'll here. need to reference them again. Yeah. Okay. So before we go, one of my very favorite things you do is literary matchmaking, which is pairing up readers with books that you recommend based on something, a few books they love, something they hate, and something they've read recently. So any chance you want to do that for me before we hop off? I would love to. That would be fun. Yeah. I haven't done this on the blog in forever, but I'm reimagining it. 
So we'll resume in the future, but not yet. Okay. Yeah. But I'd love to do it here because being able to talk with a fellow reader is the best way to find them something good. Okay, fun. Let's do it. All right. Okay. So what I usually do is ask people to tell me a few books they love to get a feel for what they like, one book that just didn't work for them, and then the last thing you've been reading. So tell me some books you love. Okay. Is I'm this gonna, for you? Or is you know what? I kids? think I'm going to pick books that we've read aloud together, books that I've, we've, I've enjoyed with my kids. Is that okay? Yeah, that sounds fun. Okay. So three books that we've really loved and enjoyed are The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, of mm-hmm, course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and let's see, The Mouse and the Motorcycle by Beverly Cleary, which has been a really fun read for us in the past. We love those. We are big Beverly Cleary fans around here. And what I love about her is that my five-year-old and my 12-year-old and the parents are all entertained. And that is a rare and precious thing. I know. I love it when you're starting to read to the younger kids and then the older kids trickle in and don't want to miss a word. That's fun. And Beverly Cleary books do that, I think. So, Yeah. And it's writing on those different levels is not something everybody can do. Okay. Tell me a book. Hated is a little strong, but tell me a book that just you guys weren't so crazy about. Um. Okay. I would say The Series of Unfortunate Events by Lemony Snicket. We read the first one and we didn't get that. Ver- I mean, we got maybe a third of the way through before all of us were just ready to put the thing down. So not a favorite. Okay. And what was it about it? It was really dark, which I, you yeah. know, I'm not, we don't shy away necessarily from dark fairy tales, but it just, it didn't have any redeeming, anything redeeming in it to kind of keep us going. So mm, I gotcha. Okay. And what's the last thing you read? Oh, we just read the first book in the Wingfeather Saga by Andrew Peterson on the edge of the dark sea of darkness. And some of us enjoyed it more than others, but for the most part, everybody was just really engaged. We have tried to start that book as a read aloud in my house like five times. Have like, you? It's blue. I yeah. can see it on my shelf. And I've heard that like, that the series keeps getting better mm-hmm. and that we will be rewarded if we push through, but we haven't yet. Are your kids so, really I'm big fantasy readers? i glad to hear readers? another recommendation. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. I mean, well, maybe not big. They don't seek those out, but a lot of books they happen to love are fantasy. Are fantasy. Okay. My, I have I two kids who love fantasy and that book was like their favorite. So, yeah. Okay. So from these, it sounds like you guys love fantasy since you told me that directory. Um, <laughs> Which and is so I'm funny because some... I am not a big fantasy yeah, reader. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but do you like the ones that they, that you told me here? Yeah. Like, how do you feel about them? Yeah, I do. Like okay. Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe and Wingfeather Saga. Yeah. Yeah. I've enjoyed those too. Oh, and I'm seeing a lot of journey tale stuff going on here. Oh yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I'm going to recommend some classics that you've probably read. But still, I want to like put my chip in the bucket as a vote for these. Okay. The Wind and the Willows, definitely. Have you all read that together? Oh my gosh. You're going to make me say this on air. <laughs> no, no, no. We I didn't read it until a couple of years it. ago. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there are so many wonderful classics. Like you can't read them in a childhood or a lifetime. So don't feel bad about it. Okay. <laughs> but that makes me really excited, Sarah, because I do think it sounds right up your all's alley. If your voice needs a break, there's a great audio version and I'll try to find it and send you the link because I can't remember the narrator right off the top of my head. Okay, perfect. But it is, it's fun and whimsical. It's a journey tale. 
you go on an adventure with the characters. And it's one of those books that I just didn't read for years and years because I thought, oh, I roll that British classic, whatever, you know, that all, all the little kids read. And I was just sorry I put it off so long. Like it's full of like just wonder and adventure. And now I'm getting carried away. But well, that's fun to fun hear. I've heard early. kind of mixed. Most, mostly I've heard just good things about it. And then there's been a few people who've told me, oh, it's really hard to get into. So I think that's kind of put me off from starting it because there's so many other books, you know, so you think, oh, I'll just pick something else that, but okay, we'll try it. We'll read it. The audio is not hard to get into. Okay. Um, I think the thing about audio books is they're able to evoke like setting with just like 20 seconds of background music can really set a scene in your head and the narrator and the intonation of the voices. I think it puts you in the world really quickly. It's not as hard to like work your way in mentally. Okay. So if that's a stumbling and go listen to the sample on audible, like there will be a five minute sample that'll give you a really good feel for how it sounds. Yeah. And that's one that works for many ages. Like I could also read that to my five-year-old and my 12 year old and they'd I'll be fine. Awesome. And I wouldn't be bored to tears either. Yeah. Right. right. Um, Mary Poppins is another one. Is that one that you all have read? Yes, that is. We enjoyed that so much. That's another one. Excellent. That That means I'm in the right direction. Yep. (laughs) Peter Pan. Yes. We listened to the audio version of Peter Pan read by uh, Jim Dale. Jim Dale, the guy who reads um, Harry Potter. Really? So good. Yeah. Okay. Peter and the Starcatchers. I didn't think of right off the bat until you said Jim Dale. Have you heard that? No, I think or one of my daughters has read, I think one of my daughters has read them, maybe my son too, but I don't think I've read them. Okay. That's really good on audio and he does read the audio. Usually I give three, but you've just got so many. And I don't think that like Mary Poppins should count or Wind in the Willows, like those are classics. You, sh- you can already know about those without me. And of course the Hobbit, you've read the Hobbit, right? Oh Lord man, the I had like a story old. about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I tried to yeah. read the Hobbit aloud. And I really, really struggled with it. So I ended up getting the audiobook for my kids to listen to because I was having a hard time with all the voices and just keeping, I don't know. Uh-huh. So to my shame, I have never read the entire Hobbit, but my kids have. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. But ones that are a little less obvious. Well, okay. The Bar Wars, that's probably pretty obvious. Oh, have you yeah. read those? Yeah, I have read them. I don't think all my kids have read them though. I know I read one of those allowed to my oldest couple of kids, but it's been a long time. When my kids read those, all of a sudden we had like little Lego borrower houses all over the house. Oh, fun. I love which that. Which is kind of fun. There's a great Japanese animation movie if they do like the borrowers that shoot. I can't remember if it comes straight from a borrower story or not right now, but it's called The Secret Life of Arietti and it's really wonderful. Oh, and I seen... never recommend kids movies to people. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think I've it's, seen the yeah, cover it's of worth it seeing. anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not something that made me like pull it off the shelf, but it was urged on me by a trusted friend and it was so much fun. Okay. Okay. My kids are really into the Sebastian Flight series. The first book in it is called Magic. It's M-A-G-Y-K. And I'm going to look up the author for you. We found these books. I'd seen them at the bookstore. Oh, did I say Sebastian Flight? That is a character, but they're known as the Septimus Heat books. And they're by Angie Sage. The first one was published about 10 years ago. And we have a babysitter who, when I like interviewed her for the first time, she said, you need to know that I love books and I'll bring a bag of books every time. And that's kind of my thing. And not all families are okay with that. And I was like, who is this angel sent from heaven? And why are not all families okay with that? Yeah, yeah. So she brought the magic books into my kids' lives. It's a fantasy series. It's, I'm not going to tell you anymore. The books are satisfyingly long. 
they're about 500 pages each. So with your older kids Mm -hmm. ages, that's something that they can't read in a day, which is really an advantage to my kid. Like it's so much work sometimes to find them. If they're not like feeling any of the books on their shelves or at the library, it's hard to like get them steered into something. Mm -hmm, Totally. And this is a multiple book series and they're all kind of thick and you can feel like, I've heard of these and my work for a while. I can picture the covers in my head, but we've never read them. So I have a feeling you just gave me the perfect recommendation for my for my two fantasy lovers for sure. So awesome. That sounds good. And also the Edward Eager books. Those oh, are yes. old and British. Yeah, okay. like um, Half Magic and... Yes, um, exactly. Mm-hmm, those are fun. I haven't read them all, but we have, I don't know, seven or 10 of them or something. And the kids have read... We've read Half Magic aloud. I think we read that one twice aloud, actually. As one uh-huh. as an audio book, one yeah, that's an my audiobook. favorite too. Yeah, yeah, it's so much fun. <laughs> really funny. And this might be a little premature because I'm only halfway through the first one, but mm-hmm. the Redwall series, which okay. also again has audiobooks. Yeah, my not my husband, my son has listened to almost all of them. I think on Audible. I haven't listened to any. My daughter, who I think would love them, hasn't listened to them yet either. But he could not get enough of them, and they were fantastic for me to use in that period before he was reading for himself. So he would have quiet time in the afternoon and he would listen to audiobooks and they're like nice and long. So again, you don't have to keep finding uh-huh. new things. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, nice. Definitely. Well, thank you. That's fun. Well, let me know if you read list. any of those. Okay. I will. Hey, Anne, thank you so much for joining me. This has been really fun and I will make sure we put links in the show notes so everybody can find you online, but modernmrsdarcy.com and you're on all the social media channels, right? As Modern Mrs. Darcy, is that right? I am at Anne Bogle on Instagram and Twitter. Oh, perfect. And Modern Mrs. Darcy on the others. Mm -hmm. Okay, excellent. We'll link to your social media pages on the site too in case people want to follow you on their favorite one. So- Thank you so much. great. This was fun. Thanks for having me. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. Hi, my name is Zoe. I live in California. I'm nine years old and in the fourth grade in our homeschool. The book I like is Flora and Ulysses by Kate D. Camillo. My favorite part is when Ulysses the squirrel gets sucked up by the vacuum, but he's okay. And later, Flora thinks Ulysses has superpowers and can fly. There's always something funny happening with Flora and Ulysses. Hello, my name is Celia Colazzo. I'm nine years old. I'm from Florida. And my favorite reader aloud book is Winnie the Pooh because it's really funny and it's really fun to listen to. Hi, I'm Favor, and I'm from Florida, and I'm four years old, and my favorite book is, is Blue Hat, Green Hat, because it has a bunch of animals that are my favorite. Bye. I'm Sophie, I'm in I live in Cambridge in England. My favorite book with Daddy is called The BFG. It's by Rosal. There's a girl called Sophie. I like the radio for makes up words like snores, cumbers, and we don't kiss and scramble the answer. 
fantastic. Thanks, kids. If your own kids would like to leave a message about their favorite books, help them do just that by going to readaloudrevival.com and scrolling to the bottom of the page there. You'll also find show notes that include links to everything Anne and I talked about in today's podcast. Head to readaloudrevival.com and look for episode 37. Don't forget to grab your gift subscription to the Read Aloud Revival membership program before they're gone. And hey, have a very, very Merry Christmas. We'll be back right after the new year with more podcasts that will help you go all in and inspire a reading life in your home. Until then, go build your family culture around books. Thank you.